0: The search for identity, that which uh, suits best to this uh, real self that you're discovering. If you know yourself well enough, then you discover what you are best suited for, and then that is what makes you happiest, too. Self-actualization the making real of the inner self, and that means what you love, what you're interested in, what excites you, what fascinates you, and that is the cause outside yourself, which paradoxically then becomes a defining characteristic of the soul. Welcome to the Maslow Peak Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. I'm your host, Brett Griffin, and our guest today is Derek Bardier, owner and audio engineer at Vanguard Audio Labs. Vanguard makes microphones, and they sound great. We're actually recording this at Vanguard headquarters right now using two V13 tube condenser microphones. Derek's a very intelligent guy with a sharp sense of humor, and I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Vanguard Audio Labs can be found on Twitter, at Vanguard Audio, on Instagram, at Vanguard Audio Labs, and on the web, at VanguardAudioLabs.com.
1: Derek, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man, and thank you for driving all the way up here and braving the traffic that is... <laughs> It's just it's just the parking lot that is Southern California on any given weekday.
0: I'm currently in Upland, upland. upland wherever California. that is. I have been all over Southern California, and I can frankly say I don't think I've ever been wherever it is I am right now. So it, uh, <laughs> it was quite the journey from my office in Newport Beach, but uh, hey, you know, I really wanted to do this here with the microphones, did some shots of the studio. so I'm glad it worked out. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank, like I said, thank
0: you for coming. So tell us a little bit about Vanguard Audio. What's the pitch?
1: So what we try and do here at Vanguard is there's always been a price to quality ratio in the music industry. It's the the old adage, you get what you pay for. So when I was in college, there were $5,000 microphones and there were $99 microphones and you got what you paid for in those. So what we try and do here is be above the line and beat that price to quality ratio and just Turn that idea inside out and say, we can make you sound great and have a professional record
0: ready microphone that doesn't cost you a kidney. Mm-hmm. This is something I had written down for later. So I'm, I'm glad that you're bringing this up because anyone familiar with the music industry, recording industry, there's crazy mics out there, crazy expensive, you know, five, 10, 20 grand. What is What are these microphones made out of? Is it dodo age? Like, what is making these microphones so expensive? I assume it's adamantium, given okay. that Logan came out recently, <laughs>
1: but I'm not 100% sure. Honestly, you know, it part of it is labor. Part of it is voodoo and the kind of the magic secret sauce that everybody says they put in their microphones. Part of it really is that generally you still get what you pay for. And a lot of the times, if you're spending 10 grand on a mic, it's going to sound really 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 good mm-hmm. but you know that's we want to compete and not only compete but flat out beat some of these five thousand dollar microphones so that's when, when we developed that's exactly what we tested against as we tested against these studio standard record making microphones and saying okay can we beat this can we compete with this can we and and our goal was to beat it and in a lot of the cases we did awesome and how do you originally get into this oh um i'll keep it as short as possible It's your story. Okay. Be be as long as you want. Be as long as I want. Got it. So uh, in high school, I got into music. I started playing bass because when you're in high school, um, you join a band. That's just what you do. If you're... Girls like bands. Absolutely. I mean, I assume that's why I did it. I'm not even sure my motivations back then. But um, so I noticed a lot of my friends had... Uh, that were guitarists had guitar pedals. And back when I played, there weren't a lot of bass-specific pedals. So I was kind of learning on the fly through the miracle of Google how to modify pedals to respond better to bass frequencies. So that's kind of how I dipped my toes into the electronics world. And I kept doing that all through high school, all through college. And um, in college, I really fell in love with Music. I, I took some beginner beginner music courses when I went in as a philosophy major and said philosophy is useless. I'll take an equally useless <laughs> um, major instead. Um, and I really, really got into music and I got into the technology side of it. Mm-hmm. I quickly found out that I was I was one of the worst people at actually creating music in the program, but I was really, really a good facilitator. Okay. So I began engineering. I ga- began producing. And the whole time I was still playing, I'm not a terrible musician, but i'm not I'm not gonna light the world on fire um, by any stretch of the imagination. so I know, I
0: know the feeling <laughs> you know <laughs> you and I both play at churches a lot, and you know i I know my own limitations. I'm never gonna be in a rest tribute band like I get that, you know yeah, ab- I mean I'm certainly I, I
1: certainly enjoy making it. don't get me wrong i'm just I'm just not the best at it and every time... the most
0: fun thing in the world. Oh, what's the first most? I'll tell you when you're older
1: <laughs> so um. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, (laughs) So anyways, I need an internship to graduate my audio engineering, um, or it was a commercial music degree with an emphasis in audio engineering and arranging and music business because I'm an overachiever, I guess. Um, So I needed an internship to complete this. So I went to work at a microphone company that I really liked that was doing this really similar thing um, where they were one of the first companies to mass manufacture microphones overseas that weren't garbage. Okay. And they, they actually sounded pretty darn good. And this company was called Avant Electronics and it was run by my then boss, now partner, Ken Avant. And I basically went up to them and I said, here's what I've done. Here's what I can do. I can kind of sort of fix things electronically. And Ken kind of took me under his wing. I did 160 hours of free labor, which he didn't mind at all. (laughs) And then they liked me so much. They said, can you work here you know, full-time. So I was still in college and I was doing that full-time. I was doing a couple other jobs, odd jobs, because I was about to get married and, you know, you're just trying to scrape together cash however you can at that point. And then I worked there for for several years and kind of ended up as the the nebulous title of director of operations. It was a small company as well. I think there were seven of us at the height of our powers there. And um, and, and so I, I kind of did everything but the the specific accounting and sales Mm -hmm. um so that meant some development that's met you know all the boring stuff which you know there's plenty of it to be had anytime you're running a business Mm -hmm. and then uh through through one, one way or another, which is kind of sad to say, but the company got, got sold and moved to New York and it was a really unfortunate event and kind of n- nothing you could do about it. And so I freelanced in the industry for several years, uh, playing and engineering and doing studio installs and uh, gear repairs and just all sorts of things. And I was kind of wandering in the woods, not quite sure what I wanted to do because I really love music and I really love facilitating music. And then Ken called me up in 2013. He said, I, I think I'm finally ready to, to start another one of these and try it again would you like to would you like to do it and i i talked with my wife about it and said this could take a long time to do uh-huh. i mean startups don't you know you don't just start up a company and then start paying yourself um it's not the way it works startups take a long time the development to do this type of thing right takes a long time of of a product like this in a very crowded market and she said i will work and pay our bills you pay go do this if you think it's what you need to do mm-hmm. and if you think that this is what what your calling is and and uh i mean i can't thank her enough for that because she's been incredibly patient we started the company officially um in in september of 2013 mm-hmm. and it is now june of 2017 now, i've yet to actually write myself a check at this okay. point so All right she's been incredibly patient she's been amazing she's been s- amazingly supportive. I cannot say enough about how important having a partner that stands behind you in this sort of thing is.
0: Right. I'll never forget one of my earliest memories of you is we were at Mariners getting ready to play and something was up with either your bass or a pedal and I can't remember which one but you took it apart and soldered it. Somehow you had a soldering kit with you <laughs> and we were like <laughs> literally, you were literally sitting on the stage soldering on this piece of equipment and I remember just thinking either this guy's a genius or he's an idiot and it, it could be both But I'm not sure which one I was going to say those things are rarely (laughs)
1: mutually exclusive. Um, But
0: yeah, (laughs) It, it just it seems like alchemy to me. The whole I plug this thing into the wall and then it goes through all these little transistors and stuff and then things happen. It's I'll I'll never understand it. I
1: still don't understand a lot of it. I mean, um, I'm fortunate enough that Ken is smart and experienced enough. He's, I mean, the age gap between us is pretty significant. I think he is, I want to say 40 years older than me. Ken, don't hold me to that if you're listening. <laughs> um, you're, you're 30 years younger than me, Ken, which makes you negative, negative one. Um, okay. So uh, so I won't pretend to understand all of it, but I understand it enough. And I, like I said, I'm constantly learning um, new things every single day. Mm-hmm. Which is which is very cool, and I think one of my favorite parts about doing this. But I do vaguely remember the, the incident that you're talking about. And I vaguely remember it because I'm pretty sure it's happened more than once. Which is not a good comment about the state of my equipment on occasion. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. But... Uh, I, I think the last time it was actually a busted tuning peg. But I mean, in yeah. theory,
0: if you can fix it yourself, that's good. But also, maybe you should buy equipment that doesn't break. I mean, I I don't know what the right balance of that is. I
1: yeah, I would I would kind of be on
0: the same page as you. <laughs> okay. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly,
1: I don't remember. I probably told my parents 25 different things, whether it was an astronaut or a fireman or a businessman just like my dad or whatever the soup du jour was Mm -hmm. for me. I really just like learning. I mean, if I could have it my way. I think what I would do is is probably constantly be taking college courses and, and getting other degrees. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to actually get an electrical engineering degree because everything I do is self taught. Which by self taught I mean sometimes shocking yourself with two hundred volts of two two uh, voltage and sometimes destroying something irreparably. And you know it it kind of depends on the day. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I I I. I I think when I, I, what I wanted to be when I when I grew up was somebody who was constantly learning because mm-hmm. I, I, I that's the thing I enjoy the most. Well, owning I mean, a business
0: is definitely a good way to do that. Oh, definitely. You mentioned being in college and kind of finding your way through that, but was there a moment or specific instance you realized this is something I want to do? I want to build stuff. I want to make stuff. I want to be involved in music in this specific way. Do you remember an instance or moment when that kind of crystallized for you? I... I I remember a couple of them, and the one that stands out the most to me is um,
1: my, my music theory one professor, um, Al Clift, and he, he just passed away recently, which was really unfortunate, but uh, he was just this incredibly enthusiastic person about music. He was amazing in that he could take the most boring parts of theory and just be so excited about them, but you couldn't help but be excited about them. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of self taught mys- myself some music theory, and you kind of get it, you pick it up just by listening and playing music, even if you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. But I was always really good at math, and music was one of the first things I came across where it's like there is no 2 plus 2 equals 4 here necessarily. Like there are rules in music, and the best composers tend to take those rules and break them on occasion or Mm -hmm. more than on occasion and just invent their own set of new rules. But there is no – if you play an A and you're in the key of A, there is no right answer to what the next note actually is. And that was fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. As somebody who had, you know, done AP calculus, and t- I'm not trying to brag or be arrogant. It's just like I have a very mathematical mm-hmm. approach to things. And to not have a this equals this answer, yeah. you know. Every um, time, no matter what. Yeah, yeah precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to not have a constant like that was really fascinating to me. And shoot, even like in Eastern music, they have quarter tones. Right. And we, we have 12 notes in our scale and they have 24. Right. You know, so. <laughs> so. So that I think was one of the things that first drew me to music. And then as I said, I I joined the music program and I I realized really, really quickly that there are a ton of people better than me at the actual artistic side of it. One thing about being very mathematical is that doesn't often translate to something artistic and flowy and Mm. and very aesthetically um, appealing. And I figured out really well, though, that a lot of these people that I was going to school with, they could write a beautiful song in 30 minutes. They could play a sonata just perfectly and bring you to tears. But you ask them to balance their checkbook with right. the end of their head and right. they would die. So um, so I got really good at facilitating, whether it was stuff as simple as booking gigs or, you know, stuff as complex as learning audio engineering.
0: Right. So. Yeah, it's interesting the different skill sets that humans have you know the and even in in music you know someone that's classically trained pianist can you know play all this complex stuff but they can't sit down and bane out let it be you know they can't sit down and bane out rock and roll chords like it just it's crazy some people that are really good at playing music don't necessarily write songs some people mm-hmm. that write great songs but they don't necessarily have the music theory and it's it's crazy how all that comes together to be be this industry that we love you know
1: yeah and and being in being in the music music department one of my one of my professors who is the head of the commercial music program, his name's David Beatty and he's he's phenomenal as well. But he told us, you know, for every one artist on stage, there's ten people or more behind that artist making things happen. Oh yeah. Whether it's as simple as calculating royalties and receiving royalties on their songs all over the world, whether it's, you know, as complicated as the guy pushing the buttons behind, you know, behind the stage for the monitoring you know, the monitoring engineer, which is not actually as complicated as I made it sound because it's not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But, you know, all these, uh, all these people supporting music and music is something that I've always been very, very drawn to. Um, My family was pretty musical. Um, My dad plays piano. Um, My, my brother plays guitar and piano. My sister plays piano. Everybody in our family basically does something with Mm. music. So, um, I found it to be something worthy to contribute to. Yeah. If I were to contribute to something in the world, music is hardly a bad choice.
0: Yeah. And a good music theory class can really, really expand your mind and kind of show it to you in a way that you never really thought about it. Like I took a music theory class after college, you know, just at Golden West or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. a community college, just cause I, I wanted to know a little bit more than I knew. And, you know, I'm a drummer. I don't know notes. I don't know scales. And, he was, you know, we did stuff where he you would... You hit things really well. Right. I, don't I sell hit, yourself short. I hit stuff with other stuff. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> I don't worry about notes. I don't worry about scales, keys. I hit stuff with other stuff.
1: Hey, man, me and you, drummer, bass, is foundation okay. of the band. Don't indeed. sell yourself short. indeed. We got to stick
0: together. But the the teacher I had was really great. He, he did all kinds of stuff where he would play, you know, a seventh, and it would be like... How does this sound? It sounds unfinished because your brain wants it to resolve to the octave. Yeah, you know? a tritone. Any, precisely, yeah, and you yeah. play. You know, so this sounds contemplative. You know, the minor keys. You know, darker. You know, a little more contemplative and moody. And it was just interesting. Like all this stuff that I feel like I picked up, but I didn't really understand the basis of. You know, having that basis really kind of opened it up in a new way.
1: Oh, oh, definitely. I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you, and that's what
0: that what that's what that moment
1: was mm-hmm. for me was understanding. Oh my gosh, there's this. There's this code behind all of it, and this code is flexible, and and it, it's not hard and fast rules. And even when there
0: are con- hard and fast rules, people break them all the time, and right. it
1: sounds freaking awesome. So yeah.
0: how do I? <laughs> and it's validating to be like, there. This is a real thing. Like I'm picking this up, and it's a real thing. You know? Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, what's a basic daylight for
1: you? Oh, um, a lot more boring than you'd think. <laughs> um, so I get up early. I, I drink my coffee. Um, my wife and I make breakfast. She heads to her work and I head to mine and I bring my dogs here because I need coworkers and employees and I can't actually you know pay anybody else if I haven't paid myself yet. So mm-hmm. um, they're pretty good about not taking pay and certainly um, they don't do a whole lot of work. They, they work about as much as I pay them, but they're, they're good coworkers. So I bring my dog to the office and I usually sit down, get on Skype and uh, get on the horn with uh, my sales reps. And I kind of get up to date on what's going on with them. And, and then I check my emails and there's usually 10 or 20 of those I got to answer. And then by that time, it's noon. And there's the, the day-to-day stuff. People don't realize. I think there's an idealism to when you start your own uh, endeavor that, that you aspire to. Like 95% of it is the, is the sweat work. Mm-hmm. And that's Okay. If you keep a if you keep a macroscopic mindset for it, if you if you look at it, if you if you don't lose the forest through the trees, and you say, okay, um, I'm doing accounting, mm-hmm. but later I'm going to put together this awesome mic, right. or these people are using my awesome mic right now. These people who mixed like my my seminal pivotal high school records love my microphone, and that's really cool. So if I keep a view like that, I feel a lot better about my about the more mundane days. But certainly. So much of my day is the, is the day-to-day operations of the company, whether it's packing and shipping microphones or, or assembling and doing final quality checks or typing up a million emails. You know, um, That's a lot of my day. The fun days usually consist of heading out to LA to these incredible recording studios that I am fortunate to have access to and taking out a prototype or showing somebody, um, our current mic, the V13 and saying, um, this is what this sounds like on you. And here's this 4000 or $5,000 or $10,000 microphone that they have access to. And, uh, and listen to these two and we're going to do a blind test and just tell me which one you like better after we're done recording. And and that sort of stuff brings me quite a bit of joy. And, and testing a new microphone and saying, okay, this is a new tool that somebody can afford without selling their firstborn child right. and still make their music and bring something wonderful into the world.
0: Right. What was it like brainstorming these mites? You know, you mentioned price point and quality, but what gap is Vanguard (laughs) trying to fill? Be it what it sounds like, you know, building the components that will lead to that sound, balancing the subjective opinion of what sounds quote unquote good versus the objective science of microphone building, the economic reality of what someone might be willing to pay. For these components, you know how do, how do you go about putting all that together? That's a very loaded
1: question. And um, <laughs> I mean, how far down the rabbit hole do you want me to go? <laughs> this this mic took us um basically three years from start to finish to bring to market. We actually just started selling almost exactly a year ago. Mm-hmm. Started selling this mic. The development of a microphone, like I said, it's a very crowded market. When I when I joined Avon Electronics, they were one of the only people in the middle ground in in the in the affordable and sounding good crossroads and they were the first people doing it when overseas manufacturing was actually really terrible um, and they were getting it right Um, and now there's a lot more people getting it right but fortunately we have the experience to do it better than right so as far as the price point we try and keep things always under a thousand dollars now most people hear that and they kind of they get a little oogie about that number but keep in mind um the price that people pay for their guitars that they pay for their drum sets or their cymbals you know how ex- yeah. expensive cymbals are yeah um that's actually a very reasonable price point um like i said um the stuff that you normally hear on the radio costs anywhere from you know a couple thousand dollars to upwards of the the original vintage um telefunken 251s that were made in germany I think those go for like twenty to twenty-five grand a pop right now. Wow. So like that's like a down payment on a house in in most parts of the country, you know. <clears throat> so to be at the price we're we're at and still have a record-ready sound, that's really what we're going for, and we we're, we're kind of seeking to just be more bang for your buck than anybody's ever had before.
0: And what in your experience led, not to reveal any trade secrets here, but. Mm-hmm what led you to know you could make these mites for this much using these components? Um,
1: a lot of it really has to do with, with my partner in this, which is which is Kin. He you, you talked about marrying the, the subjective art of sound with mm-hmm. the objective science. And both of those take mostly just experience of knowing what sounds good and knowing how what audio engineers are looking to do with a specific microphone. You know, if they if they've got a mic on the hi-hat for instance, of a drum kit, then that mic, they want it to just only pick up that one thing. They mm-hmm. don't want the snare drum making a bunch of noise and messing up their hi-hat mic. They they don't want a bunch of low woofiness from the kick drum. They just want that one thing. If they have a vocal mic, they want it to be, do something completely different. And they want it they want it to sound as good as possible without ever having to shape the sound very much. Because the more you fiddle with sound, it's kind of like I'm not sure how many people in your audience will relate to this, but if you ever have put caulking around anything like to seal a window, the more you fiddle with it, the worse it gets. Yes, And <laughs> audio is a little bit the same way. Like there are things you can do to make it sound better and more pleasing, but the more EQ you apply to something, the more compression you apply, you're going to get to a point where it's get that it's robot just, sound. Yeah. yeah. And, it's hard to explain.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's
1: it's very... it's it's But you know when you hear it. You know when you hear a pure, wonderful signal mm-hmm. versus what you are hearing, say, you know, uh, after you run it through 80 plugins on your computer and you're just trying to get that that right sound, and then you mute all of these equalizers and compressors and reverbs right. and stuff, and you realize that the, the older sound is still better, but right. not where you need it to be.
0: Right. Everything you hear on the radio has gone through that secret Capitol Records room of 200 compressors, you know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know.
1: Honestly, it's... Uh, so many people are going back to a pure signal chain because they realize the more components you're running it through, the more noise you're introducing, mm-hmm. you know, on several levels and the the more difficult you're making it to actually mix your, your record sometimes. So yeah, there's, you know, some things are more processed than others. If we're talking about, you know, electronic music, that's an entirely different thing. Right. But, but a lot more people are going back to a purer signal chain than
0: before I feel. Now you mentioned you have sales reps. So that was a question I had for you. So you build this microphone, it sounds great, mm-hmm. then what?
1: <laughs> well, fortunately, I, I wouldn't have known the answer to that question if I hadn't worked at a company before this. So then you take it to the people you know in the industry, and like most industries, and I think more than most industries, this industry is, is who you know. Right. And n- sales reps are basically just people who know the people, the retailers, the dealers, or the distributors who work in your in, in your field. So in this case, Pro Audio. Um, professional audio equipment so i took this to um somebody i knew really well um glenn hevner i knew him from avon electronics he was um just this incredibly boisterous as he called himself a really really loud redneck um (laughs) who was just the friendliest guy had time for everybody and anybody and he was a sales rep and he'd been one basically all his life. So he started talking to dealers and started setting up dealers to sell our product. Because if you have this amazing thing, it's like recording a, a record and then just keeping it in your bedroom. Like how do you get this out to people? And right. that's what a lot of musicians face too. So, so having, having this microphone and not being able to have people have access to it, you, you need somebody to sell it for you unless you sell direct. And uh, in the music industry, selling direct is kind of like being a bread, a bread maker, like a, a baker, And not selling in a grocery store, you know, for prepackaged bread. Like, people go to the grocery stores of Pro Audio to figure out what they want because there's so many options, you know. So, sales reps help enormously with that. We have an international sales rep who's fantastic for us, and we've, we've really got amazing european distribution now and we're moving on to asian distribution next and then we have a couple of u.s sales reps who help us in specific areas of the country and and they're fantastic as well every single one of our dealers is is really absolutely fantastic we don't work with with people who are who are grumpy or bad at customer service or Mm -hmm. anything like that we want to work with dealers who are great to their customers
0: awesome when you tell people about this you know when you meet someone at a party or you meet someone out somewhere and they ask what do you do what do you tell them
1: uh, I I make microphones, recording studio microphones. They're 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 pretty awesome. And what's
0: the most common reaction?
1: They they say, "How do you get into something like that?" And then I explain it on a podcast. Apparently,
0: <laughs> and listen to my friend's podcast, <laughs> and listen to all his other ones. <laughs> Absolutely,
1: it's it's really like one of the better podcasts I've heard. Honestly, Brett, like. There's so many podcasts and some of them are quote unquote professional from like major media companies and they're just really poorly produced, really poorly produced, like dropped guests and stuff. And it's not even live and and things like that. But you're one of the better podcast producers I think I've ever heard. Like it just comes naturally to you. It's thank not you, even sir. fair. Thank you. It's it's amazing. Your questions and, and the way it flows and it's very listenable. I, I really enjoy everything. Well, thank one.
0: you. Thank you. I, uh, I try to respect the guest time. I try to respect the listener's time, have it be interesting questions you know if, if the guest has done other interviews i try to read those so we don't just retread the same stuff you know i, I really try to make it worth everyone's time so i appreciate that that's,
1: that that's good i mean with with the guest you can only polish a turd so much so i apologize <laughs> to your listeners um but hopefully they
0: find microphones a little bit interesting any preconceived misconceptions about audio engineers you'd like to put to bed once and for all about audio engineers in mm-hmm. general. Yeah. Um, well, it depends on
1: if you're talking about live or recording engineers. And the one that's true about live engineers, they just all have a chip on their shoulder because if you've live, en- if you've done front of house engineering, like live engineering, whether it's at a church or a concert or whatever, long enough, uh, you just grow to to generally despise everything <laughs> and everyone. It's just a thing that happens. It kind of slowly rots your soul. Um, with audio engineers, it's not just pushing buttons. It's really um, there's a saying, it's the ear, not the gear. And I find that true with, with everybody. Like if you take, uh, an amazing guitarist like Dweezil Zappa, who's Frank Zappa's son, and you put him on a, the cheapest guitar, he'll sound amazing on it. And if you put me on a Gibson Les Paul through like just a gorgeous rig, I'm going to sound a lot worse than Dweezil Zappa <laughs> did on his Starcaster target right. guitar, you know?
0: Right. So what are you working on right now? Ooh. um, Well, we
1: introduced a couple of products at NAMM that are unfortunately behind schedule for the people who might be listening to this who want our V44S stereo mic. We're working on that one really hard. And that one's almost here. Um, That's a a microphone. You could view it as two microphones in one to capture a stereo image. We hear in stereo as humans. We Mm -hmm. have a left and a right ear. And the way the sound approaches and wraps around our head and then reaches our ears is how we can close our eyes and tell that you're to the left of me or you're to the right of me or you're in front of me Mm -hmm. and a stereo mic does that exact same thing. We record for the most part for, for music in stereo. Um, we used to record in mono. And then when you're talking about movies, you record in 5.1, which is five different sound channels coming at you from different directions. And now it's even more, I don't even know what Dolby is at. I assume a million at this point. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we have a stereo microphone that we're really excited about. That's doing some things that have never been done. And then, um, We also have a, what's called a pencil condenser, which is a a much smaller condenser. It kind of looks like a long tube of lipstick or like a a big, um, maybe one of those Expo markers that your teacher always wrote on the whiteboard with. Yeah. Yeah. That comes with multiple interchangeable capsules, including not just small size capsules, which is typically what you see with pencil mics, but a large um, multi-pattern capsule as well. And that's actually the first of its kind. We're really, really excited about that one and bringing it to market and, uh, it's taken a little extra time because we don't want to cut corners. We always want everything to sound as good as it can. And my, my partner follows that philosophy almost exhaustively. He's like, yeah, but what if we did this thing that'll set you, you know, on a 24-hour CAD drawing frenzy? Uh, <laughs> and I say, no, we shouldn't do that no, because thanks. I don't want to do all that work. And right. then he laughs and then I do it, it. I don't know how it always ends up that way. but. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, we're really excited about those. And um, Ken being Ken, he just has this constant stream of amazing ideas. Um, we have a lot more coming, that, some of which I can talk about, some of which I can't. Um, we have one that's currently at the patent office that is a couple of years down the line that might be split out into six or seven patents. Oh, well. Because that's how Ken is. And he calls me. Every once in a while, honestly, probably once every couple of months at like 11 at night. And he's like, Derek, I got this real groovy idea. He always says groovy because he was a child of the 60s and grew up <laughs> listening to the Beatles. But right. I got this real groovy idea for it. So I get out my computer and I get on my spreadsheet of Ken's list of amazing ideas and I write it down. And then we slowly flesh it out. So honestly, we have like 15 semi-concrete ideas in the pipeline that aren't these first three microphones. So I could be busy for a long, long time, which I'm happy with. Maybe I'll get a paycheck. <laughs>
0: Maybe one day. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. You mentioned some of the accounting and some of the mundane aspects of you know the entrepreneur life. Anything about owning, running a business that's really surprised you?
1: My grandfather told me when when I started this business, and I told him I was I was gonna gonna start my own business. He said, Derek, whenever you own your own business, you can work whatever eighty hours of the week you want. <laughs> and I've definitely found that to hold true so far. Yeah. One thing that certainly surprised me is that people are willing to call you at all hours of the night from whatever country in the world asking about your microphones. And I've had some amazing conversations at 2 in the morning with people that are, you know, musicians or engineers and are fascinated by our mics. And uh, that's something that surprised me. It surprised me. It still surprises me how much I learn every day. That one will never, never get old. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever stop wanting to learn and being able to overcome overcome certain problems uh, that seem insurmountable at the time, I think those have surprised
0: me surprised me the most. Good lead into the next question. Biggest triumph so far, oh, if there is one, a selling a microphone, selling the first one.
1: Honestly, who bought the first one? Mi- oh. I'd have to get back to you on that, but I think it was my buddy Aaron Aiken, who's an audio engineer. I think he had dibs on 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 one of the first, you know, one of the first actual, you know, paid for microphones. Okay. And and I think just that was the biggest triumph because if you're an artist, you spend all these time ta- this time often working on something that's not necessarily tangible. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if you're a painter, it's a little more tangible. But as a musician, you spend some time writing and perfecting a song and then tracking things. And often in the studio, when you're building it up from scratch, it kind of sounds terrible to start with. And then you get to that crystallizing moment where you actually have something in your hand, whether it's your printed CD of that single or whether it's the finished painting or whether it's a a microphone that sounds really good and looks good to boot. Um, And and. I can't stress enough how how important it is for me to do things occasionally that are tangible, whether it's just bookkeeping mm-hmm. or sweeping my floor so that I feel like I'm actually accomplishing something I can see occasionally. Yeah. Um, certainly that. We've also overcome some technical difficulties on occasion. Um, I won't get into the minutia of that, but it feels really good when you're, when you're struggling and struggling with a circuit, and then finally you have that aha moment where you're like, what if I did it this way? Mm-hmm. And it works perfectly.
0: No, it's cool. You mentioned that, you know, having something that you can touch having something that you made and that that is a cool feeling i remember when i started the podcast you know i mean i didn't make the logo but i creative directed it and Mm -hmm. you know the when it when itunes finally worked you know it pushed the episode to my phone there was the logo there was the description i could tap it and it started playing isn't that it was cool feeling yeah it was cool
1: it's such a cool feeling I, i i i'm i didn't know you you did the work on your logo see my wife designed our logo because she's good at that sort of thing and uh i just assumed that's what where logos came from
0: (laughs) yeah big shout out to teeth dixon uh teeth dixon did the logo for us but uh yeah i mean i had an idea of what i wanted it to be you know it there it should be mountains shadowy but also light like it's gonna be difficult Mm -hmm. but it will Mm -hmm. be worth it you know that's kind of what the theory was i like your logo a lot It's not you've got this kind of art deco like the rocketeer kind of aviation ish kind of vibe was that on purpose like yeah
1: ken really likes classic cars and he always said you know when you think of logos and and companies that just have enduring icons i mean there's obviously coca-cola and then there's you know car companies when you see a mercedes-benz or a ford or a you know or a ferrari logo you know what it is Mm -hmm. And he said, let's try and go for something like that. And so I, I'm always a big fan of minimalism. So we kind of had this Art Deco meets minimalism mm-hmm. type thing where there's very little actually on the microphone. We tried to not make it busy, but we tried to make it pretty. You know, like like if you drive a really nice sports car, you know, let's say you drive a Lamborghini. You want it to drive like like a Lamborghini. You want it to perform like a Lamborghini, but you also want it to look like a Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. And so many microphones in the world are You know, like a matte black or a dull nickel finish, like, you know, and that's fine. And honestly, nobody knows what the microphone looks like when they're listening to the record. But the artist does. Right. And sometimes that gives an artist confidence to step in front of something that looks really nice.
0: No, and as I sit here and look at it, you know, I can see the font, I can see the design of the microphone. Like it, it, looks like Hollywood. Like it looks like L.A. You know, the font looks like Los Angeles. Ah, well, thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool. My
1: my wife had heavy input on the aesthetics, and and obviously so did Ken. And I just kind of did what I was told, and it turned out okay. Um, I'm not, I'm certainly not one that you would ever trust to like pick a paint color, for instance. But yeah, the aesthetics were we're quite quite proud of those as well. And and a big shout out to. Kin for having the classic car vision and for St- to Stacy for helping execute it. We fit everything on but the white-walled tires, and we're pretty happy with it. Going forward, how
0: do you define success for yourself besides a paycheck?
1: Besides a paycheck? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be complacent and say, well, I feel like I've already succeeded in some ways because of the people that are using our microphones and the people I've met. Like, just... Um, I'm having lunch with Herbie Hancock's engineer t- tomorrow, which is or uh, Friday now, which is super cool. Um, it was gonna be tomorrow, but then Herbie called into the studio. I, I mean, I never dreamed when I was in college that I would be hanging out with Herbie Hancock's engineer having an in n out burger, you know, but that's gonna happen on Friday. and that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, and like Dave Way is a guy that uses our microphone and loves it, and he has he's mixed. These records that I listen to over and over and over and over again in high school. So that in a, in a way, to know that I'm contributing to something as beautiful and as worthwhile as music, I think that's how I define success for myself because I always want to keep a mindset that that's what I'm doing. As soon as I make it about the profit margin or about the money or about anything else, I, I think I'm doing a disservice to the people who make
0: music for mm-hmm. a living. That's a good attitude to have. So if this hadn't worked out, you couldn't solve your circuitry problem, or you couldn't line up any sales reps. If this wasn't working out, what do you think you'd be doing right now?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I try not to think about that because that's actually a scary – that's pretty loaded. I'm glad glad it's working out so far because I certainly don't want to be a desk jockey for the rest of my life. But the creative arts for me are this frustrating mistress that just – Uh, You know, even when I was freelancing, I was barely, you know, scraping by a a feasible income, Mm -hmm. you know, just because the music industry has gotten so tight in the last few years with Napster taking away basically Mm -hmm. every recorded in recording, you know, dollar there is between Napster and Spotify. There's really not money in recorded music anymore. Um, I know some of my listeners will. <laughs> or some of my some of the people I know will will tell me otherwise about Spotify and maybe you know I really hope that it's the answer to the music industry but yeah I I would probably still be in the music industry in some regard whether I was repairing gear or doing front of house mixing or you know and slowly rotting on the inside to death while I while I while I was Dumb doing mad front at of everybody house, yeah 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 <laughs> well I I'm already not the most amicable individual so I think if I was a front of house engineer I would be admitted to a psychiatric facility within a couple of
0: years for murdering people
1: <laughs> i can't say that for sure but at least maiming them like definitely crippling someone mayhem isn't that the uh, the legal term mayhem
0: <laughs> intent to cause yeah, bodily injury if you turn injury, up your amp
1: one more time on stage without telling th- there me there will be mayhem yeah i will take your guitar and i will remove your leg with it it's just that simple
0: so i just asked you you know if this hadn't worked out if you hadn't been able to solve the circuitry mm-hmm. issue we talked about the alchemy of this and how it just blows my mind, you know, how Mm -hmm. you may have an idea of a sound that you want to achieve, but if I use the components that make that sound, it weighs too much, or it's going to be too expensive or it's going to get too hot and it's not going to work. I mean, I don't know how you solve these issues. How do you keep a level head in, you know, the sense of those design issues and also business stuff like, Hey, this stuff didn't get on the boat. It's not going to be here in time. You know, how do you, in your day to day and overall trying to keep a level head about the things that you run into. That's that's really the trick with life, isn't it? You know,
1: to not look at to not lose sight of the forest through the trees, as it were. Um, which I, I say a lot, but it's really, really true. It really helps to see what we've accomplished so far. It really helps to have a wife that's just an encourager by nature, and and without her, this company would definitely not exist. I know I'm talking her up a lot in, on this, but it, it really – to have somebody that stands behind you in a creative endeavor I think is, is – is one of the most important things that you can, if you're, if you're married or you're with somebody, or you know, or whether it's just your parents or your brother or a friend mm-hmm. or whatever, to have somebody encouraging you when when that sort of thing happens is really important first and foremost. Because um, I I don't think I could have done this on you know on my own, frankly. And actually, a story about that, a little bit about my partner's previous company that I worked at for several years. For various and sundry reasons that had nothing to do with the quality of the microphones, that company failed. And that was really, really hard, not just on me, you know, um, and financially, but on Ken, like, on a spiritual level, Mm -hmm. you know, for his legacy, you know, to, like, you know, his legacy in the music world to fail. Um, That was really tough on him. But that, I don't really consider his legacy anymore, because I think these ones are better. (laughs) But um, Shots fired shots fired indeed um but uh yeah to 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 maintain a level head and to realize that anything worth doing probably is going to have some obstacles in the way and i know that sounds cliche but it's almost always
0: the truth like that's my mantra when i'm running nothing worth doing is easy nothing 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 worth doing is easy every it takes two or three steps and every time, three steps in, three steps out. Nothing worth doing is easy. Nothing worth doing is easy.
1: Yeah, and, and as, as much as focusing on the big picture helps, it also helps just to take little tangible steps. Like One of my biggest weaknesses is when I see a huge project ahead of me and I see this huge mountain and I say, i got to reach the top. Taking the first step is the most difficult thing mm-hmm. for me because I'm zoomed so far out and I'm like, that's way up there and I'm down yep. here and I, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Yep. Maybe I'll go get a sandwich. <laughs> I usually get a sandwich. But to... Take the first small steps in a project. If I'm designing a new microphone, I go, okay, this is going to be a long and arduous process fraught with um, redesign and uh, circuit issues and and sourcing issues, and Ken's going to ask me to redesign something halfway through it, and that's okay, because it's going to be better for that. Uh, I love you, Ken. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for dealing with my, with my junk, too. But um, certainly... It, if you just make a small first step, whether it's putting down the first rough sketch of it on a piece of paper or just typing up the document outline of what you want it to be or drawing something in 3D CAD, which is also something I didn't know how to do 40, four years ago. It's kind of cool. Um, but um, taking that first small step sometimes gets you further up the mountain than you ever think you're going to go, even if you don't all make it all the way sometimes. Um, to take that first small step tiny step towards that long journey mm-hmm. that uh, that's the first piece of momentum oh yeah you know and then once you get that momentum it's a little easier to keep it and keep going and keep going and keep going and then when you hit these obstacles and you're going full speed they don't slow you down as much Not as, as bit you're of a just problem. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah now that's something that's come up a lot in these interviews and i you know I've, people are probably getting tired of hearing it by now but it's it's totally true the hardest part is admitting to yourself what you want and what you're going to do and the second hardest part is taking that first step you know, admitting to yourself, I want to do this. I'm going to. I'm going to tell people about it. They're going to have their opinions about that, and I'm going to do it anyway. I and think, then the yeah. second hardest part is taking that first step because it's scary, you know.
1: And that's absolutely true. How many people that are listening right now, if you have something you really want to do, and, and you don't have to want to do it for a living. You don't have to want to do it, you know, all the time. But if you... If you wanna learn how to paint, if you wanna go watch Bob Ross on Netflix, which is awesome by the way, and I oh, encourage yeah. it anytime <laughs> oh, you yeah. need to go to sleep, if you wanna learn how to paint, then you know, just take that first step because it's something you've always wanted to do. And mm-hmm. and frankly, you know, eventually we're all gonna get old and our fingers aren't gonna work and our eyes aren't gonna work and our painting's certainly not gonna be as good. So why not go to the store, which is, you know, you're you live in Southern California maybe if you're listening to this and you're twenty minutes from the nearest art store. Aaron Brothers or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Go spend some money and go learn at it. You don't have to show it to anybody. Yeah. Just like you know, take that first step, and you might say, "Man, painting's the worst. This is messy, and you know everything's going wrong." And I'm gonna throw this brush at the wall and never paint again. Or you might say, "This was really fun, and yeah, it might not look amazing, but I'm gonna do it again, and again, and again, and get better in it because it makes it it makes me feel fulfilled."
0: And the thing no one thinks about is that there's also value in realizing I don't like doing this. There's value in that, too, because now I don't have to think about this anymore. Now I don't have to obsess over how great my life would be if I did this instead of what I'm doing right now. And now I know I'm not good at this, and I don't like it, and I don't have to try it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. I...
1: I can't encourage it enough. And as somebody, I say this as somebody who is terrified of taking the first step and it's held me back for, from many things in, in my life because, oh, it would sure would be nice to learn at a blank, but it's just, you know, it's hard. So it looks hard and my, the thing is all the way over there or people might laugh at me or whatever the case may be. But you know, you don't even have to show it to people if you don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, you can just start doing something for fun because it makes you feel fulfilled. Yep. So I would I would encourage you you know whoever you are right now if you have something like that that you want to do and you haven't done it yet, then go just just go try it. You I mean shoot it could be skydiving in yep. which case you know don't sue me if the parachute doesn't open. <laughs> I don't think you'll be in a position to. I'm sure there's liability waivers. Yeah uh, yeah definitely sign a liability waiver clearing me of all all issues and then go do it.
0: Sorry there's no end user licensing agreement for listening to a podcast. Fred, uh, uh, what a bummer. All right home stretch. Few more questions I'll attest everybody okay definitely what's some of the best advice you've ever gotten
1: uh, that one about the 80 hours a week was pretty good uh, <laughs> such a
0: grandpa thing and it's totally true oh too. yeah
1: most of what he said was true uh, <laughs> he was
0: it was pretty cool like that what do you like to do for fun outside of play music record music hang out in recording studios design stuff Who um I like
1: to surf although I don't do much of it
0: anymore um I drove here I didn't see any oceans on my way
1: yeah, I know we're inland. None. I know there's dude. There's a there's a surf shop in Bakersfield. There's people surfing in Alaska. There you know surfing just happens. Surfing there's people in... Sh- surfing in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. So or Michigan is it Michigan? I don't know. On the Great Lakes, you know. So really, <laughs> yes. It's, wow. a, it's a thing. It's a thing. Surfing USA. Surfing USA. Absolutely. So <laughs> uh, as far as things I like to do for fun, I I really enjoy hanging out with with my wife and dogs actually and sh- man she just keeps coming up she's a pretty great lady um but uh i i i i quite enjoy um like i said surfing i enjoy reading i i just really enjoy learning new things so um even sometimes when i'm at home my wife will have to remind me hey derek we can just sit and relax you don't have to be on your phone on wikipedia reading about whatever
0: you're reading about you know i do the same thing Anything you're excited about right now? Movies you just saw, books you're reading, albums you're really into, anything you want people to know about?
1: Books I'm reading. Books I'm reading. Um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So he is the founder of the um, what they call the third Viennese school of psychotherapy, which is called Logotherapy, or The Search for Meaning. And to try and put it in as small of a nutshell as possible, um, Adlerian or Nietzschean you know, philosophy and psychotherapy is the will to power. And Freudian psychology is, as we all know, the will to pleasure, like Mm -hmm. we exist for, for pleasure. It's very, um, what was, who was, who was the Greek philosopher that came up with that? I don't remember. But, but, but with Viktor Frankl, he was, he was in a concentration camp for over three years, various concentration camps in World War II and Nazi Germany. And he was one of the few survivors and none of his family survived, um, including his wife. He had married very recently before he was put in a concentration camp. And this very heavily influenced his outlook on life but he feels that the only reason he survived is because of man's will to meaning in the fact that we don't exist to gain pleasure or to gain power in the small time that we're here we're here for a purpose and uh, that purpose may vary from hour to hour or from day to day or from moment to moment you know my purpose right now is to do this awesome podcast with you and i if you feel if you ever feel like you're floating in like this existential vacuum which is actually a term he coined, I think. Um but if you feel like why do I exist? Uh, you feel this malaise and you feel un unappreciated or unwanted or unneeded. Um you can find this book in audio form. I think I've listened to it like four times in the last month just because it's so powerful. And he goes over his experience in the concentration camp from a, an objective perspective. He doesn't, you know, he's like people have already documented the horrors of this, but as a psychotherapist and as a psychologist, here's what everybody went through in these camps. And he just has amazing observations on the line of good and evil that runs through every person, and, and that it's a ragged line, and and we're not all good and we're not all evil, and we, you know, ascribe to groups that oh these these this tribe bad my tribe good, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think we call that American politics, uh, but. You know, no group is wholly made up of bad people or good people. And the idea of bad people and good people in is is in and of itself kind of a problem because we're all bad and we're we all do bad things. We're all we all do good things. We're all, you know, it's the dichotomy of man. We're divided. So it's kind of deep, but, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> that's what you like to do for fun, huh? <laughs> I, I'm, I, I apologize if it's
0: <laughs> – I saw Wonder Woman. That was pretty great, too. <laughs> the question wasn't what would be fun for everybody. Is what do you do for fun. So that's valid. <laughs> that's a valid answer. With all that we've talked about, what inspires you to keep going? How do you keep yourself motivated?
1: I really want to be able to provide – for my family. I think that's a big part of it. And the people who have invested in me, it's not just, you know, nebulous investors, but my friends and family have not only invested in me, you know, um, spiritually and mentally and with encouragement, but they've also invested funds in me because manufacturing is kind of expensive actually to get started. There's something called economy of scale, where if I make one of these, it costs a whole lot of money. But if I make 200 of them, it's a lot less. So that in and of itself, uh, drives me to go on because these people have put their faith and their trust in me. And that's, that's a big part of it too, owning a business. And that's kind of, kind of one of those scary things where I can look at the big mountain and just have to take one step at a time. And, and like I said, the other thing is just when, when you're doing something like this that you really love and you feel like you're contributing to something worthwhile, if you keep that in mind, it makes the mundane accounting and sweeping and packaging Mm -hmm. boxes and, and counting electronic components so that you can do your inventory properly. It makes that a lot easier.
0: You were literally sweeping when I got here.
1: I I absolutely was. Full the thing disclosure. About, the The thing about bringing your dogs to the office is they're both big dogs, and I keep them just in the office. They don't get to go in the warehouse because that's where all the sensitive things are that don't like dog hair, like three micron microphone right. capsules. Um, but <laughs> but they, yeah, they they shed a lot. I to give me an idea. Look at the rug behind I you. Can, I, I can see it. Yeah, I, I vacuumed on Monday. Jesus. No dogs. No <laughs> dogs. This is why I don't have dogs. One uh, of many reasons. You're
0: you're missing out, man. Unconditional love. If you were able to go back to the start of the journey, anything you'd tell yourself.
1: Don't get scared. Cause I'm, well, it's okay to get scared, but don't let it rule you. Because I think that held me back. Honestly, you know, when I when I talk to myself, sometimes I realize like I could be six months ahead of where I am mm-hmm. if I hadn't panicked in certain spots and like, like dropped everything to go get, you know, uh, a soda or a, a sandwich. sandwich. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a sandwich. To, to, he brought it back. Would you look at that? Um, yeah. Because I was just terrified of taking the next step. Like what if I fail, you know? So it's okay to be scared and it's a, it's a, it's definitely okay to be scared. It's kind of a big thing. But if you let that, Influence and drive your decisions, and take the driver's seat of what you're gonna do. It's just, you're just gonna you're gonna set yourself back a long ways. Also, don't touch live tube leads because that's a lot of voltage. Yeah, and well, it will like the Dickens. <laughs> oh, you know, I keep telling myself that, and every once in a while, it doesn't happen very often. I've gotten better at it, but every once in a while, I'm working on a mic and I turn it over and I don't think and I grab it the wrong way and gizzy 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 so you know don't do that <laughs> i've taken a lot of voltage more times than i can count but <laughs> you know it's voltage it's not it's the it's the current that kills you it's not the voltage that kills yeah, most I, of the
0: time can you explain that i heard someone explain it about like getting punched like volts is the size of the fist amps is how fast it's coming at you, you and got watts the, is you got it the opposite direction Oh, okay, it's the opposite yeah, okay,
1: so okay. amps amps is the actual um, current is the, uh, you could call it the amount of electrons that are jumping from atom to atom to atom. Okay. That's the that's the number of them. Um, voltage is how quickly they're moving or how much pressure is behind them. If you if you, a lot of people think of it in fluid dynamics. So, um, if you have a pipe, mm-hmm. amperage is the amount of water in the pipe, and voltage is the pressure behind the water. Okay. Like a pressure washer doesn't use a lot of wash a uh, lot of water, but it gets a lot of work done. Right. And it. it um, and then you can have a giant bucket of water that might accomplish the same thing. Right. Um, not moving very fast. So, and then wattage is the combination of the two. Okay. Wattage is the total power. So, you know, like it's the same way a bullet's not very big, but it's moving really fast. Right. And that boulder might, you know, a steamroller might be moving real slow, but it's pretty big. Okay. Both of those things can hurt you. Um, so it's the combination of the two. All right. Well said. I I know a few things about electricity. I, I've touched it enough to,
0: to... It's taught me some things. Any last words of advice? Life, art, creativity, business, anything?
1: I meant what I said to the person that's listening right now. If you have something you want to go do, go do it. Don't let trivial things hold you back, like money or fear or things like that most of the time it costs a lot less money than you think it's going to cost to get into that thing so just go buy the canvas and the oil paints go buy the bob ross kit with make some happy little trees give them friends because everybody needs a friend according to bob ross and uh and go do it because i i very rarely will you regret something like that but you will definitely regret if you don't do it
0: true well, Derek, this has been awesome. I've, I've really enjoyed watching this unfold for you the last couple of years. I remember when you worked at Avant. I remember when it shut down. I remember you were bummed out. And uh, to see this unfold and come out of that and see you have success, to be sitting here with these microphones that you designed, it's it's really rad. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for the kind words about the podcast. That means a lot. I know you worked with a lot of... A lot of industry people, and that means a lot to me. I appreciate it. Oh man, it's a, a, I can't stress enough how awesome I think it is. You do a
1: fantastic job, and thank you for having me. I, I I think it's I think it's weird that people want to talk to me about microphones sometimes. You know, when you nerd out a bunch and you're in your little world, <laughs> sometimes you don't realize that people are interested in this sort of thing. In the electronics people, cave. Y- yeah, people you know that aren't audio engineers want to ask you about microphones. I'm like, well, that's weird, but you know, I'm really I'm really I hope somebody took something from this. Not necessarily about microphones, because they're limited in what they can do.
0: <laughs> Does not chop french fries three different ways. Does not do this, do that. I
1: don't think you'll see it on as the seen on TV. <laughs> ad. It will smush your toe real good, though. Once again, experience talking. Or shock you. Or sh- it will shock you
0: real good. Vanguard Audio Labs can be found on Twitter at Vanguard Audio, on Instagram at Vanguard Audio Labs, and on the web at VanguardAudioLabs.com. If someone wants to get their hand on one of these, what's the best thing for them to do?
1: You can go to vanguardaudiolabs.com, no spaces, no dashes, nothing like that, and you just click the find a dealer button, and you're gonna find somebody that sells our fancy microphones.
0: And if they call you at 2 a.m. to talk about microphones, you will answer. You said it yourself. I I I might, but please don't hold me to that, and don't be mad if I don't answer. This podcast is not legally binding, so <laughs> okay. Again, I think we established there's that, no right? there's no end user license agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. This has been the Maslow Peak Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group, recorded on Vanguard Audio Labs V13, tube condenser for microphones. Our producer is Jesse Edmond. He has one. It sounds great. If you like what you heard today, you can find all of our episodes on the web at themaslowpeak.com, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or SoundCloud. That new episode's automatically pushed to you. If you can rate and review the show, that helps a lot. You can also check out our Instagram, at the Maslow Peak, on Facebook and Twitter as well. Thanks for listening, and you'll be hearing from us next week.